Welcome to Cultivating Conservation, a podcast navigating new ideas of what conservation means and how we really can promote change. My name's Megan, and for the past 10 years I've been working as a filmmaker, telling stories about the natural world, in particular stories about whales. And I found on so many occasions whilst discussing different issues that all these incredible people around me doing exceptional things were not comfortable calling themselves conservationists. I'm here to call you all out and to instigate informal chats with individuals from all backgrounds about what the term really means to them. Delving into what shaped their thoughts and how each navigate the ideas of true conservation in what can sometimes feel like a constantly changing and hopeless future. My hope is to nourish and grow conscious conversations to ultimately help save the planet. Incremental change leading to monumental change. And if listening to this inspires just one person to get involved in something they really care about, then I'll be happy. So, what does conservation mean to you? Lauren Plummer and I met many moons ago when we were both living and working in the French Alps together. Our love for the snow, the mountains and good food meant that our friendship group has remained pretty firm for the last 15 years. A few years ago, Lauren and her family moved from her hometown of Essex to Bude, a small town on the west coast of England. Here is where she founded Green Threads Cornwall, a small organisation dedicated to eradicating fast fashion, one slow fashion market at a time. Expanding now into children's markets, Lauren is spreading the word on the impacts fast fashion is having on our society and on our planet. Lauren is dedicated to empowering her local community into slowing down and living a simpler, more sustainable life. The fashion industry is not something I have much knowledge of and I'm keen to learn more about how it's affecting our planet. I have always loved to shop secondhand, uh, but I know that I can do better and I know that Lauren is going to be just the one to give me that kick up the bum to start making better choices. She is an absolute powerhouse and she is making such a difference in her community. Lauren Plummer. Hello. 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 How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Where are you right now? So I am in my house in Puffle, a little village just outside of Bude in Cornwall. Great. Thanks so much for doing this, Lauren. I know we've been trying to get together to do this for a long time now. Mm, that's good. I'm excited to be here. This podcast is something that I've discussed with you and the other girls for a really long time now. I just feel really great that we're finally able to get together and I'm really keen to learn some stuff about the clothing industry, which is why I wanted to have you here today. Thanks so much. Well, the first question I usually ask people is what is their origin story? What are your earliest memories of loving something so much that you wanted to save it, something in the natural world? So mine probably started very small um, with the other kids that lived on my street. We had, it was called Nature Club. <laughs> and um, you probably don't even know this. This is going to be a fun story for you. Um, we had a nature club where we would help um, animals in our road. We were only allowed to play in our little road. So it wasn't particularly far from my house. We would save um, I quote unquote save snails um, and put them in little um, hotels that we'd made out of boxes. Um, we would paint their shells so that we would be <laughs> able to track them in the neighborhood and make sure they were doing okay. Um, we would create hedgehog hotels um, in the back gardens of um, some sort of community housing that was halfway down our road where we could get into the back garden. And we just 
climbed trees, created little eco-habitats for hedgehogs and squirrels. We might have rescued a couple of fledglings. I remember that. I remember that they had flown the next day after putting them in a friend's conservatory. But I think, you know, I think worse things had happened to those little fledglings. But we were told that the fledgling had, had done very well with all of our help and, and nurture and that they would have flown away to be happily ever after. <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably my earliest memory, starting very small. And then as I grew up, um, I remember being gifted a membership to the World Wildlife Fund and coveting that and being so excited to be a part of some big movement, you know, um, Save the Pandas, I'm sure it was back then. So I was very interested from a young age. Beyond that, I, while preparing for this interview, I wanted to give it some thought and understand where I guess my my current passions have stemmed from. And I, I don't really know. I can't trace it. I was raised pescatarian by um, my mum until early teens when, you know, I wanted to be strong-willed and go to McDonald's with my friends. Um, but beyond that, I can't, I can't place it to anything other than I found um, an insights report. I'm not sure if you know what insights is. I'll explain very quickly. It's, it's almost um, a psychometric reporting that we use a lot in HR, which is my corporate background. And we, it can be used as an onboarding process to find culture fits within new recruits. So it basically gets into your mind through lots of multiple choice questions and spits out a personality report and I wanted to look at it in preparation for today and in the first page it talks very sort of top level descriptions about this individual me and it says that I must find um, a connection with the world and feel like I'm making an impact and I have a very big ego so maybe <laughs> maybe that's just my origin so maybe that's just it I just feel like I need to leave a mark on the world I don't know big impact big ego <laughs> yeah but wants to make a big impact has an even bigger ego so yeah there we go that is so great well we met in our <laughs> mid we must have been in our mid-20s when we worked together uh, for the first time when we were in France in a ski resort that's where we certainly found our you know common thread was our love for being outside in the mountains and our love for skiing and our love for food I guess would be a good thing <laughs> yes. but um and that's just kept well you and I along with two other girls Kirsty and Betty pretty close throughout but what made you make the decision to move your life because we lived fairly close to each other in Essex for um, quite some time. But what made you and Martin decide to make that move halfway across the country to uh, to Bude in Cornwall? So um, I think for a lot of people, the, the change happened for us during COVID. So, you know, myself and probably every other person out there that was in one form of lockdown or another found themselves um, assessing their you know, four walls, their life, their um, sort of quality of life, I suppose. And luckily for me, I had the space to really think about what I wanted for myself in terms of the next five, 10 years of my life, where I wanted to see myself. Um, I've been lucky enough to do some traveling and see other parts of the world. And 
that was something that myself and my husband Martin we always said that when we got home we would move away from Essex and we would want to be somewhere um, more in touch with nature um, and have a better quality of life and, and for me that would also need to be somewhere near a body of water so either by the coast or by a lake or you know whatever that would look like so during lockdown we were able to really think seriously about that and we sold our house and decided to move to Cornwall and Bude was the obvious choice for me it's somewhere that I've been coming since um, I was a little girl I was brought here as a baby um, I've even seen very old camera footage of my mum on the same beach as a baby um, so it's something that I guess I didn't know until a lot later in life that it's been part of my family sort of generationally. So I knew I wanted to come here. Martin was a fan of the location after coming in on holidays and we thought we would just try and make it work. So it was a total gamble. Um, we knew that we wanted to start a family at some point and I was very specific on wanting to complete that move before we, you know, took on that next um I don't want to call it an adventure next challenge because it has been a challenge um but do that in our in our new location so that's where we ended up and that's where we still are do you think that making that move over to the west coast and finding somewhere that you felt closer to nature is what helped spark this passion for what you're doing now yes yeah i think it's almost it's multifaceted but i think that being here and being so connected to nature and almost having it's something that I'll talk about later that that full circle moment I think for me coming back here um has enabled me to have that almost mental capacity to to take to take something like green threads on um and somehow that you know the universe has conspired, conspired that there's so many other individuals imbued and in Cornwall that are so passionate about the environment sustainability you know you could throw a stick and hit, and hit someone that's doing something um you know some small cause or, or large cause so I think it's moving here and finding those people and connecting with my tribe I suppose has given me that empowerment that I can start something like that um on my own and and see where it goes it's all about being part of the big team. Yes, exactly. The green team. <laughs> the green team. I would say, Lauren, that you are always someone that I have thought has had fantastic style when it comes to clothing. Mm -hmm. um, but nice. when do you think you started becoming aware of the impact clothing production was having on the planet um, humanitarianly and environmentally? Um, probably around five or six years ago, maybe longer now, I think we're in 2024. So it's where, um, as I've said, I've previously worked in human resources across di many different industries. And one of them that I worked in was in fashion, so fashion retail. So the sort of sharp end of fast fashion. And it's something that um, I connected those dots when I worked there and had a few penny drop moments where walking onto the buying floor of the building you would tread all over jewelry it was all around the skirting of the rooms under all the desks in the bins you know embedded in the carpet where this um product or these products are treated in such um 
a poor way because they're manufactured so quickly. There's so many trends that are assimilated, you know, presented to the directors, not used, discarded. It it was shocking to me to be inside of that beast and actually see how it all worked from the inside and understanding that what you see on the shop floor of, say, your latest, uh, your local, sorry, Claire's accessories, for example, um, that's only a fraction of what is created and marketed in-house. So you imagine the amount of product that's in um, Eclair's accessories, a lot of people in the UK will know what I'm talking about, um, thinking of how much more there could be behind the scenes that don't make it onto the shop floor. So it's, it was understanding the size of the issue and that I worked in a business that was only responsible for a small portion of the high street's jewellery offering. Um, there used to be jokes between buyers that we create landfill. So it was, you know, it's almost a bit of a running joke that they knew what they were creating wasn't going to have a lasting impact, wasn't going to stay in people's jewellery boxes for very long, and that it would find its way to, you know, the, the nearest landfill. Holy moly. It's that entire sentiment that just scares the bejesus out of me. Mm, yeah. yeah, it was, yeah, having that, those interactions and not just being, um, you know, with, with blinkers on that, that consumer going out, going after the specific thing that I want and not really thinking beyond that. Um, Fashion Revolution is an amazing organisation. It's, it's quite anarchist in its approach, but it wants to disrupt the fashion industry and its throwaway culture. And, you know, their, their whole approach is, is trying to make people understand where your clothing has come from. You know, where's my jewellery come from? Who who made my clothes? So it's trying to get people to understand where it's come from, not just from a human rights point of view, but also about the environmental impact as well. And you had some really kind of shocking facts regarding um, clothing impacts on uh, the planet for me. Do you mind sharing just a few of those? Sure. So there was a few that I made a note of for our discussion today. And I think it's some of the things that I'm, I've almost gotten used to. And you forget that when people don't know this information, it can be quite shocking to hear. So the world produces about 92 million tonnes of textile waste each year. So each year, that much textile waste is going into our landfills. So you imagine what that is going to look like out of your window. Um, that's going to be quite an obscuring view. So that's every year that we pump into landfills wasted textile clothing. And globally, we consume 80 billion new items of clothing every year. So that's, you know, that's not just um, over a decade, that's each year. So you add that up to, you know, how long that we've been doing this for, and it's an insane amount of clothing. That has gone up by 400% over the last 20 years. So an interesting fact, ASOS has been going for around 20 years. So if you look back to the creation of the internet and globalization and access to goods online, and then ASOS comes along, we then fast forward 20 years of ASOS being, you know, online and available to people. I'm not saying it's the main culprit, but I'm just, you know, putting it into a, um, a, a word that people can connect with you look at that you know 20 years later and and our um, consumption of clothing has gone up by 400 percent is just 
an insane number for people to try and comprehend. I mean, if you look at the amount of clothing that you can access on websites and platforms like ASOS, um, I talked about it a little bit when I did a Petrocutcher presentation recently on sustainable fashion, where have you ever been on ASOS and been scrolling through thousands of dresses and completely forgotten what on earth it is you're even looking for? And you abandon it. I can't. Rem I can't remember the amount of times in the past where I've gone on to buy something, and completely just lost my trail of thought for the sheer volume of product available online. So yeah, that's that's just one small player in that. So, but that's the psychology. That's the psychology they're going for, right? They want you to lose your train of thought and then just buy a bunch of stuff, other stuff that you mm. don't need. Well, combined with the option of free returns, you know, it's something that. We could talk, I'm sure, endlessly about it. You look at the end the end platform of this, people like TikTok influencers that do ASOS hauls or um, Boohoo hauls, uh, these huge bags of clothing that they try on and just, mm, do I like this? Will I keep it where I wear it once? It's that whole mentality that they're fueling. Because when you go into a store and you pick up a dress and you take it to the dressing room and you try it on, you think, nah, it's just not for me, and you put it back on the rack someone else can walk into that shop and try it on. Whereas if you order stuff online and you try it on and you don't like it and you send it back, what happens to that clothing? Yeah, I mean, best best case would be that it's repackaged and made available. Worst case is that it's them companies like that and where I worked previously, they have almost like a, a scale of disposal so then it would go to what you would call um, a troll site so it would be somewhere where they would try and sell your clothing for a markdown price or then the worst case would be that it goes to landfill so they would try and recoup somehow but I'd say the odds aren't great in terms of your dress that's been ripped out of its packaging and sent back there'll be other avenues for it to go to exit out of the business one way or another, but yeah, it's not going to be held in the same value as it was, which let's face it with companies like Boohoo or, or Sheen, Shine, I don't even know how to say it. They don't have a high value anyway. So it's just wow. a, a race to the bottom. Cause when so, they're selling it, um, when they're selling a dress for $10, um, the amount it costs them to send it over to you for free and then get free returns and the amount it would cost them to some, for someone to repackage it, the item is no longer worth that economic value by then. No, no, it's not viable. And businesses like that, the way that they assimilate trends and, and lines and seasons of clothing, they are doing it on, um, you know, high volumes. That's where they're going to make their their income it's on the high volume of things that they're shifting onto the market rather than you know items that have been made with care and with quality ingredients and you know sold in a higher market so it's, it's all about yeah sort of um business business cases in terms of how they want to make income and profit but it's just yeah very the, the very ugly side of it so another quick fact for you would be that the fashion industry is the second largest polluter second only to oil so i found that very interesting as someone that you know has tried to have conversations with with local government bodies about you know is is fashion on the agenda for any small you know or large council um environment you know impact and any projects that they want to do and it, it never is and i think it's trying to make people understand that fashion is a huge polluter and it's not just something 
that um, you know certain generations or, or only women will be impacted by and only women can influence um, it's something that is a huge issue yeah and only second only to the oil industry in terms of its pollution that was going to be one of my questions was there's there's no governing body outside the government that is able to hold anyone accountable for this these kind of situations and these kind of mindsets there's no one holding these companies accountable for things like waste and uh yeah that is frightening beyond belief but good, good for you for going to your local councils and asking because, you know, if they're going to try and put forward initiatives for people in their local community to not use your car as less and, you know, try and buy items with less plastic packaging in your local supermarket, they're targeting some of the big polluters of the world for sure, but they're completely ignoring others. Yeah, I mean, a, a common thing that you'll see councils push um, is take shorter showers and it's almost you know the the amount of water used in the fashion industry is gonna uh you know pee all over <laughs> all over that concept you know a t-shirt takes around 2700 of liters of water to produce one t-shirt so you know that that's enough to to keep someone hydrated you know if, to sustain somebody for over a year and yet we're, you know, we've got council saying, you know, have a sand timer in your shower so you take a shorter shower. And it's it's just mental to me. So, you know, there's so much more that we could do, so much more impact that people can have at home, you know, while you're sat on the sofa scrolling through pages and pages of internet shopping. Those habits, you know, without even getting up off of the sofa can be changed. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's so much more scope for, for people to, to take action. Where did the idea for Green Threads Cornwall first come to you? So that was just after I'd had my son in 2021. And um, whilst on maternity leave, it became very apparent to me the sheer volume of clothing that I needed to source one way or another for my son to wear. Um, and also with for myself, my body had changed and my my mentality had changed my style had changed so I was left with an overflowing wardrobe of clothing that either didn't fit me or just wasn't me anymore and you know I wanted to find an outlet to try and pass that on not wanting not having the energy to take pictures of everything and stick it on eBay and vintage um, I wanted to have some kind of face-to-face -face, get out and meet people meet other mums perhaps that were in the same boat as me that we could maybe exchange goods I wanted I think I was seeking a connection with other people um, wanting to find like-minded people that were interested or at least engaged and passionate about the, the sort of fashion climate crisis um, and also you know selfishly as a way to shift this clothes these clothings uh, these items of clothes that were stuck in my wardrobe so I reached out to my local community and asked if there were any local markets, local markets that I could attend, any sort of indoor clothing markets that I could take part in. And the response was that there, there wasn't anything available. So my best bet I was told was to do a boot sale. I didn't want to do that. I don't want to stand in a field in the rain, in the wind down in Cornwall. So selfishly, I created it myself. And 
um, was completely blown away by the uptake and other people that wanted to get on board. And we're now in our third year of markets and they are growing and growing. So it's, it's amazing to see how it's come along. And it's something that I want to continue doing um, as a way to help circular fashion sort of become the, the main way that people shop locally here. What was your initial goal with Green Threads, just the one, the one market? Yes, um, and just totally selfishly, I just didn't want to have to throw away or donate my clothes. That, that was it. <laughs> so thinking very uh, one-dimensionally, it was how can I shoot these clothes without having to throw them away or give them away? So it was how can I work that to my strengths and what I'm interested in? So that's why it became green threads, because I wanted it to almost, you know, that that golden thread of working it into other bigger projects and engaging more and more people. That then was was really quite secondary, um, and it, it's just something that grew. At what point was it? Sometime after the first market that you thought, "Oh, this is something we need to do this again, and we need to do more." I think it was the response after the market. So for the first year, I sent out feedback forms to everybody that had a stall and sort of said, you know, let me know what you thought. If you could describe it in three words, let me know what that might be. Is there anything to improve on next time? Would you come again? Um, and the responses were amazingly positive. There was clearly a hunger for it. And it felt like there was a huge gap in the market, that big disconnect between I'm lucky to live in a town where there aren't any big chain stores or department stores um, there's a lot of charity shops so almost there's a lot of engagement with those charity shops but how can we make that more one-to-one -one? how can we build that into more of a community and it it almost just ran away on its own and I, I just had to keep up with demand I suppose and now you're doing kids ones as well correct yes yes so the first market I did had um you know, I didn't want to turn anyone away. So it was whatever you want to sell, as long as it's, you know, pre-loved or sustainably made, you're welcome. So that included, you know, um, homewares and um, vintage furniture, whatever it was. And it was after that that I realised, right, so I want this to go down a, a textile route. I want it to be fashion. It can still be homewares to some degree, but I wanted to explore the fashion side of it. Uh, but I decided that I wanted to keep adult fashion and kids sort of and baby fashion separate. So I'm now looking at doing one kids market a year. And, you know, still three years in, I'm still very much learning and understanding the local literal um, market sort of environment and how people want to shop and spend and sell. So, yes, I now do separate kid and baby markets. And that is our first one of this year happening in April. That's so great. And you've mentioned um, about how lucky you feel to be in the community that you are and how engaged everyone is. Do you feel that green threads as a concept, as a format, would be able to be assimilated in other communities across the UK? Yes, definitely. It's very much grassroots. You know, when I started this yeah, on maternity leave um, from, from home. So it's something that I... I guess aspirationally I want it to become a blueprint that anyone in any size community can can take on and grow and run with because ultimately you know I, I joke on social media but the the basis for the markets is good vibes only 
you know don't we're not here to preach we're not here to you know we're only accepting eco warriors through the door everybody is welcome from all you know strengths expertise you could be a well-seasoned vintage seller you could be somebody that's just had a clear out of the garage and loft um you know everybody is welcome good vibes only you know we always have music everybody is there to connect and i deliberately price the markets low so that there's no expectation of you know a pressure of sales they're always priced really low to make them accessible for everybody yeah and i think also it's promoting the idea of slowing down as well just slowing down mm. like how does the term slowing down make you feel do you feel like you've slowed down even though you've sped up with yes. this project yeah <laughs> yeah so i think you know i call the market slow fashion markets because i want it to really be a time for people to come into these spaces and you know get to know the person next to you have some conversations about um, fast fashion, slow fashion, what that means to everybody, whether that's then, you know, an educational piece for someone to maybe come and learn something that they didn't know before, or whether it's a case for someone to come along and, you know, chew my ear off about sustainable fashion for four hours. I would love that. You know, it's something that I want them to be community spaces, not just, you know, hard sell markets for people. And slowing down to me is all about it's very literal and sort of spiritual, I suppose, where it's giving yourself headspace to really understand the choices that you make, whether that's specific to consumerism and the impacts that that might have, those ripple effect of, you know, if I want a certain item that I've seen in a catalogue or, you know, online or, you know, on someone's Instagram feed, finding that product is almost part of the chase. But almost the question you need to be asking yourself is do I need to buy this item do I need it in my life is it really that important to me so I guess it's breaking into that mentality of consumerism so it's almost yeah two-pronged one it's very physical slow down have conversations with people have face-to-face -face connections with people and two it's to get into your own psyche a bit about um you know why you buy and there's a lot of I think not especially for women, but that's certainly been documented in the past about spending money to fill an emotional hole. And that for some people can can look like, um, you know, eating, eating to fill a hole and shopping to fill a hole. And I think that fashion is very much tied to um, the female psyche in that way, in terms of having to fill some emotional gap by going out and buying something new. So it can be a really deep, intense conversation for some people. Yeah. And what about people that don't necessarily have access to coming to wonderful slow fashion markets like yours and, you know, others that are popping up around the country? Are there any online avenues for people to be seeking slow fashion outside of eBay? Yeah, so outside of eBay, there, there are more online clothing forums available, um, you know, places like Vinted, Depop, etc. Those are online marketplaces. In terms of finding things closer to home, there's an amazing community growing. I think it started in 2020 called Sustainable Fashion Week. And it was started by some lovely ladies up in Bristol. And they've suddenly they've built something into this huge global event that happens every September. And that's about 
any local community or individual or big businesses taking part to really showcase what sustainable fashion is and whether that's through reuse, repurpose, regenerate, whether that's through environmental practices, slowly making things, that's a massive part of sustainable fashion and slow fashion. Those hand makers, those artisans that are building beautiful pieces of garments for you to enjoy and possibly hand down to future generations. Those, I call it festival, but it's, yes, Sustainable Fashion Week, that happens every September. They've got an amazing website and it's something that they're building on year on year. So I would say to anybody wanting to engage in events and individuals like that to head to that website and see if there's anything going on near to them. And they also have lots of online workshops and resources as well that people can access. Is there anyone else working in this industry that's really inspiring you right now? Yes. Yeah, so um, there's a, a lady that I talked about earlier having a, a, an abundance of passionate people here in Bude, um, a lady called Avril, and she is a part of a group called Cleaner Seas Group. And they have created and invented um, a filter system that takes microfibers out of your washing. So a big um, polluter is fashion and a lot of that is from the synthetic materials created by fast fashion when you wash them they will release thousands of tiny microfiber particles into the waterways which end up in our oceans and the cleaner seas group created here with by people in devon and cornwall they're traveling the world now sharing uh, this product and this design of how it can filter through these microfibers to stop them entering the oceans, which they are already working with a lot of commercial, yeah, it's amazing, commercial laundry um, providers uh, locally. And I think they're trying to spread that globally. There are, I'm sure, other businesses that, that do a similar thing, but Avril, I was lucky, lucky enough to meet when I did, um, when I organized a Petra Kutcher night here, and she did an amazing presentation and shared all of the amazing work that Cleaner Seas Group do. And she talked about um, the ripple effect of how you know a small change or a small person's actions can have a huge impact. So yeah, I'll, I'll share with you the details of Cleaner Seas Group and, and Avril's amazing work as part of that business. And she is um, an inspiration to me, so again, about how you can find these people anywhere in, in the world and in the UK um, that are making a difference and yeah it's it's incredible what they're doing that's so great on a greater scale a lot of people find the term conservation slightly overwhelming or unachievable for most people that are trying to live their daily lives and survive and be mothers and work full-time jobs and keep homes and do what the government's telling them to try and reduce their impact on the planet. But what do you think conservation really means to the everyday person and how do you think they can get more involved? Conservation, I suppose to me, just means protection. So protecting the world that we're in, protecting the world that we see around us. Um, it, the, the environment on our very doorsteps is at risk. So that's what it would mean to me, to somebody that maybe didn't grasp the concept of conservation is that, it, you know, protection, protection, protecting what's what's ours and what's here for, for us 
to survive. The Green Threads has come such a long way in three years. You've done such an incredible job of starting that from scratch. What are your goals for the next three years of Green Threads, Cornwall? So I think my goals for Green Threads would be to see it in more locations across Devon and Cornwall. Um, in terms of over the next three years, I think that that's easily achievable. I think I can, I would hope to, to do that this year. Um, to reach into other areas of Devon and Cornwall. Uh, I would like it to be national, so whether I can tick a few more counties off the list, that would be amazing. I want to engage with as many people as possible. I'm lucky enough this year to be collaborating with um, a local climate group on a, um, on a festival, on a green festival, and I'm going to be looking after a fashion village at the festival so that we're going to be talking about all things fast fashion, sustainable fashion and what that kind of looks like and try and engage with some local eco-warriors. Eco so I think I would just want to build on that. I'd love to do more um, raising awareness for green threads and getting more people on board so that's in more locations and just meeting more amazing people and hearing more success stories of how green threads has you know, helped somebody's knowledge or awareness or or influenced other people when they've taken it back home with them. What well, that's so exciting. That's so exciting. I'm so excited for you and I'm so proud of what you've done and what you've achieved. I just think it's really, really great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. The last question I like to ask people is for them to share a story that they have that grounds them back into nature. And it could be something big, it could be something small, it could be something connected to what you're doing, or it could be just... 10 minutes that you spent down at the beach that meant a lot to you? Mm, so I thought about this before today and it seems a really obvious one for me. It's being here imbued, as I said earlier, it, it is a full circle moment for me where having seen footage of my mum being on the beach as a baby and having Orlando on the beach as a baby playing in the same you know, in between the rock formations that I remember playing in and building dams with my dad and my uncle and, you know, finding tiny fish and crabs under all the rocks. To know that I'm doing that with Orlando and that alongside that I'm doing my little bit to ensure that it's still there for him to continue playing there and for his children to play there. Um, it feels very um carnal I suppose very um instinctual that that I would want to protect that um and keep that there for him so yeah be, being here and, and seeing my family um you know my generations within my family enjoy this place that I'm now lucky enough to call home is at risk and I'm trying to do my bit to preserve it for a bit longer I love it good vibes only I just really quickly wanted to share that um, last week's episode featured my lovely sister, Lindsay, who's doing some amazing, amazing things. And Lauren, you know, my sister, Lindsay, but just really wanted to announce that just a couple of days after we recorded and released that episode, that the Virtual Veterinary Congress of 2024 announced that their green practice of the year, green veterinary practice of the year, is the main veterinary clinic, which is my sister's veterinary clinic. Amazing. Oh, and secondary to that, even more amazing, the Green Individual Vet Personality of the Year Award goes to 
my sister Lindsay Raven. Oh, oh, that's incredible. I know. What a great, it's just, oh, I'm just so proud of her. And I just think it's so wonderful that this happened just a couple of days after she spoke so passionately about that. So I'm really proud of her. Mm, Yeah, your sister, she's an inspiration. I remember when I met her at um, Petrakutcher Chelmsford back in 2018. Quick segue, what is Petrakutcher? So Petrakutcher is a presentation format that was created in Japan many, many years ago by a group of architects who wanted a way to be able to meet and get together and share ideas, but without one person uh, taking over the stage and taking up too much airtime. So they created it as a way for the talker to share 20 images and talk for 20 seconds per image. So that was Petrakutcher 2020. And it's a way that you can talk about any topic. It's now gone completely global and all sort of different groups and organizations use this as a presentation format. So it's something that I created back in Chelmsford where I used to live in Essex. And it's where I met your lovely sister. Um, And it was something that we wanted to do to get lots of like-minded people together. It's a place where you can come and learn new things or come and be around people that share common interests with you. And it's something that I've brought here to Cornwall as well. Mm, Yeah, your sister, she's an inspiration. I remember when I met her at um, Petrakutcher Chelmsford back in 2018. And she did an amazing presentation on parenthood and how to try and parent sustainably. And it's something that I've always kept with me as inspiration when I decided to have a child about ways that we can have and you know make an impact and try not to create too much carbon in parenting so no she's amazing so I'm so glad she's got an award amazing and yeah thanks so much Lauren for sitting down and chatting with me today I'm just I'm I'm so chuffed of how this turned out good vibes only yeah (laughs) good but good vibes only thank you so much for listening to this episode got some thoughts and feelings let's keep this conversation going please do get in touch rate subscribe and comment to help other people find this podcast and let's keep cultivating conservation